Welcome to the Dream, Plan, Start, Grow podcast hosted by Allison Turner. In each episode, we interview real everyday entrepreneurs to learn how they got their start, what challenges they faced and overcame when starting the business, and what successes each has had. Welcome to the Dream Plan Start Grow show. My name is Allison Turner. I am your host. So the purpose of the show is really to educate people that may want to start a business or who have started a business on the different challenges around building different kinds of companies. And so our goal is to talk to different entrepreneurs on how they got started, what prompted them to start the kind of business they started, and what challenges they've run into and what successes they have had. So today, I am honored to have Ali Kaufman, who is a local Delray Beach resident and owns Space of Mind, founded Space of Mind, a local schoolhouse here. So why did you start Space of Mind? Because it's it's kind of a unique venture. Sure. Well, I always knew I was going to have a business before I was 30. I didn't always know what it would be. Um, But uh, it became very clear to me that my skill in life was understanding the intersection between inattention, disorganization, and anxiety. And um, I actually started Space of Mind as a coaching company, initially working with CEOs and hoarders. And um, <laughs> it's quite the it was totally different, <laughs> but also not so different. Just like hoarder. A little no, but <laughs> but just like busy brains yeah. are are really. The result of all of those things, um, and so the the business morphed over the years into an educational services company, a schoolhouse technology company, because I kept seeking out the purest problem that needed solving that nobody else was working on, and so and working with the hoarders was fascinating, but I, it was also not healthy. So that. That after a few years, you know, I was getting like different sinus issues and rashes and things. Um, It was still to this day some of my favorite and most rewarding work. But what I really loved was working on um, on the the dynamics within a work group or the dynamics within a family, which when treated like a work group actually becomes a lot healthier. And when a work group is treated a little bit more like a family, it becomes a lot healthier. So I started to see that, you know, this coaching methodology that I was developing and this approach to problem solving um, applied to all different types of stress. And the part that I was passionate about was solving school-related stress. So that's how Space of Mind really came to be, you know, a a full-time homeschooling program and curriculum and technology and all that. Wow. (laughs) And do you have a background in this like did you study this in school or how did you yeah decide I mean to go this direction to begin with all the ways the school of life um, obviously <laughs> my college experience um, I always worked in youth programming alongside whatever else I was doing um, my professional experience was in hospitality retail um, even p- the political arena uh, <laughs> and um, and also education. And so I always have been someone to have my hands in lots of cookie jars. Uh, And so I gathered experience from a lot of places. But in college, I had started um, 
working with families privately, I worked with um, and ran our college's after-school program in our local community. Um, I taught, I was a youth group advisor, a camp counselor. I never worked in a traditional public school. I probably would have been fired in five minutes because <laughs> I'm a total rule breaker. Um, but rule breaking is the key to entrepreneurship too. Right. No, that's, that's great. And I know I've known you for several years. So I've seen how space of mind's grown just in those few years. But obviously the description you just gave, gave was kind of from the start to yeah. where it is now. But what's like, I know you were expanding last I heard to doing some other programs in other parts of the country where people can yeah. do it virtually. Our program is totally national now. Actually, it'll be international or can be international. Wow. Um, we have a full virtual program during COVID. We had students in six different states. Um, our, our secret weapon is our agility. So we <laughs> um, we've always been able to flex to meet whatever needs um, the families who come to us have. And so with COVID, we were right on it and we pivoted quickly and seamlessly. So we were able to open our program up to kids um, at anywhere. Uh, we also can write curriculum for a family who's homeschooling their own kids anywhere with mixed ages in any wow. community and it'll be totally personalized and localized to that student and to that community. Um, we have travel programs. I'm really excited to you know, say we're working on augmented and virtual reality technology now that is oh, going wow. to work with our programs in the real world yeah. and enhance learning. And um, you know, school is redefining itself by, by, um, by our need, but also our desire to have something better and more flexible. And, uh, and I don't believe school will be in four walls for very much longer. <laughs> so we are taking everything we've learned in this time. We're in our 18th year and turning it into um, basically, you know, learning for any age, really. Our technology we're creating is for any type of learner, families to enjoy together, all wow. the rest, yeah. I mean, I think the one key word I heard was agility or agile. Yeah. And obviously to incorporate what you've incorporated so quickly, at least in, even in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, you don't see any of the public school systems being able no. to be very agile at all. No, um, and, and it's to their deficit for sure because things that are so easy to implement, they're not even looking at because, you know, there's this thought that you have to change everything to change something. And in some ways that's true. I mean, you know, the paradigm is changing and ripping mm -hmm. the Band-Aid off is always better. But when you make small changes, like, you know, there were a lot of teachers that were okay being back in the classroom and a lot that weren't. But you could partner those teachers together and give them a collaborator um, to work with. And now you're, you're support, creating a support instead of building this you know, wall that was happening. And unfortunately, um, you know, I, I hate to say that my optimism ever goes, you know, dwindles in the area <laughs> of education, but I did get very optimistic at the beginning of COVID that we were gonna use this as the Noah's Ark moment we were given. Right, like let's go big. Let's take the wildest ideas and see how we're going to make our schools stronger from this. Um, and so, coming on the other side of it, yeah, I'm a little bummed we didn't do that. <laughs> but I also can see now how what we've mastered at Space of Mind and the way our team 
works together. I mean, if someone calls out sick, our chef can go teach math. Really? We can all of our all of our um, you know individual disciplinary coaches create curriculum together. We become yeah. experts in each other's fields. We become more valuable to the company that way yeah. because <laughs> especially in a year like we had this year where you know adulting was hard. So a lot of people called out. If you ask any public school teacher, they will show you a list of 18 to 30 schedule changes for that day. And wow. teachers didn't have planning periods this year in traditional schools because you were always covering for someone. And we have to do that too, right? We're not exempt from the trials and tribulations <laughs> of life. We, no. You know, I have a, pe humans who work for me, but, um, but when someone called out this year, the world didn't end and we weren't, you know, we were able to, to go with the flow in a way that was super valuable and it didn't change the continuity of care and the level of meaningful education that was being delivered. Maybe they weren't in the same room that they were in yesterday or something <laughs> like that, right? So there were logistical things that we had to deal with, but agility and the communication that comes with that, you know, we like to think of it like a school of fish. And if one person who needs to go this way, we're all gonna go and eventually like understand why, but let's just go and support and come back. And in the traditional, school system it's just not possible to do that right now no it's not not and unfortunately i guess um i mean do you think it's because you're smaller that you are able to be more agile right now or do you think you can scale this model and be as big as a i mean obvious... school and be able to still be nimble and agile sure our, our small size now and I, we're not that i mean i have 20 i guess we're close to 26 employees now right. um but it was our size helped us create the model, right. but the model is scalable to any size because what it is rooted in is not so much the logistics as the culture. And the, the, um, the way that we adapt to change is very much rooted in, you know, I have also a very random uh, professional background in the software development industry, which of course really? now has come back <laughs> as we're developing this really exciting software. Uh, but um, change management was the thing that my the company that I worked for in my former life uh, really specialized in and, and the modeling process for creating a project and delivering it. And there isn't such a difference between the process of software development and the process of anything else. And it's about, it's about communicating expectations and vision and change and, um, and then filing it all within the system. But it's, it can have a flow even if it's in the file. And a lot of times, you know, the traditional school system for sure, it, this is the way it's always been. So like, <laughs> let's just, we're not gonna shake it up. Let's just adapt in the moment and then we're just gonna get really happy to go back to normal. And yeah, you know, yeah. Normal is so old school now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, normal is old school. I mean, I don't think I could imagine. I mean, I went to a private schools growing up, so I was, I guess, blessed in that respect because mm. I didn't go through the mainstream public in Indiana. Um, so we did have differences, and you know, but still, I still had the history teacher that taught straight out of, and she had a PhD in history, and still taught like out of a textbook, and I was like. Yeah. And I hated history in high school. 
what was I majored in history in college because so, that interesting though, I flipped, right? Because yeah. as soon as I went to college, I had I had to take some history class for my you know one of the uh, core requirements yeah. in college, and I loved the professor, and he taught it completely differently. No textbook. I mean, he had books, but it was right. just like novels. I mean, yeah, you know, or true stories, you know, on both sides of whatever the topic was, and like encouraged discussion, and that was like fifty percent of his grade was just discussion. Having an inspired educator right. is the key oh, yeah. to everything. And I think well, the crisis that education's in right now is that there aren't as many of them anymore. And no. it's becoming harder and harder to become a teacher. And in some ways, we've also made it very easy because especially in Florida, right. the big news <laughs> is we're loosening the restrictions yeah. to become a certified teacher. But, you know, the question is, is the training supporting the need? Um, and kids are stressed and the classrooms are hard and it's a different world. But without inspiration, there's no quality of the product because education no. is all around that. Uh, and so it's, I'm glad to hear you came around to history because <laughs> you're obviously a storyteller, which is right. really all history is. It's the yeah. telling of our stories. And, um, and I think, you know, inspired educators make all the difference. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's so true. So, I mean, how, you know, when you hire people, and I assume it's not just you, but it's part of your mm -hmm. team's job to hire people, like, what are you looking for? Because I know, you know, like, when anyone starts a company, yeah. you know, no matter what kind of company, you know, if they're going to build the company and, and take it higher, it can't just be them. It has yeah. to, they have to be able to hire someone and figure out who that right person is to fit whatever the job is. Yeah, we're looking for all the C words, right? Like, the, you know, are you on the spot creative? Can you take a problem that you and the person that you're coaching have never seen before and guide them to find the solution for them? It's not about, you know, can you regurgitate the textbook, <laughs> but it, can you make that textbook come alive? We don't even use textbooks, but you get my yeah. drift. So creativity is important and the ability to articulate creativity, right? Like it's great if you can, if you're really artistic, but if you can't inspire others with, with what your talent is, then that's not really affording the, the final product either. Um, compassion, you know, like <laughs> education is about patience and empathy and um, and stopping the clock to put yourself in, in your students' shoes or their parents' shoes and, you know, just wherever they are, that's where we have to be able to meet. Um, that comes with this luxury of agility, right, and the culture that we've created. So that's super important. Compassion is hard to deliver in a public school environment when the mandate is test scores. Right. Like, so, you know, compassion takes time. Um, collaboration is so important. Our coaches have to be able to work together with each other. They have to be able to, um, to collaborate with kids of all different ages. Um, and, uh, and collaboration also requires a certain set of leadership skills that we look for. Um, communication is the next C, you know, can you write a grammatically correct email? It's <laughs> so important. Um, but can you communicate to a parent something that maybe brings something up in themselves and is hard to deliver or hear, or is going to make them scared maybe about their child's well-being or, you know, can you communicate to a child in crisis? Like, 
you know, what they need to be able to hear in that moment. And obviously the last one is just that crisis management. Like, are you someone that can keep your calm and stay, you know, collected and make sure our number one rule at, at Space of Mind is nobody dies. Um, and we say it in a, a joking way and the kids know it's our mantra and the coaches know it's our mantra and we joke about it because it's not funny right. it's the most serious thing that we're responsible for but if we if we make it a little bit funny then we get the kids buy-in in making sure that we all know like yeah the stakes are high but like we got this let's just be prepared <laughs> so there's a, like you know the checklist of like making sure nobody's gonna die when we go across the street to old school square and like <laughs> do we have all this stuff and um because you know look the hardest thing in this line of work is the fact that people die and so um so i need to to find staff members who are going to um to be able to handle that responsibility, which is really major. Yeah, I mean, is it difficult to find people of all? I mean, because they almost sound like entrepreneurs. Like, that's what they sound like to me, like those So in a lot of ways, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. I want someone who's going to be <laughs> autonomous right. under the vision. I want somebody who is going to make a decision and do it now and then yeah. and come and be like, here's why I did it. Right. Not sit there and wait for somebody to step in and be like, here's how you have to do it. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, I'm looking for entrepreneurs um, or or those that have the entrepreneurial mindset. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't wish the liability or the responsibility <laughs> of this on almost anyone. But the um, that mindset is the crux of the assertiveness that you need to be a fantastic educator. And um, and that means like sometimes going all in and and, you know, my leadership teacher in high school, Mary Murley, who is just a rock star legend um, in South Florida um, and how many leaders she raised out of her classroom. But, you know, it was always do now apologize later. It might have actually been painted on the wall. Um, you know, or on the wall somewhere in that room. But as leaders growing up in high school, we were taught that, like, not go be rebellious for the sake of rebellion, but if you see a better way, that's cool, do it. And I, the, the, my team members who work with me, I, those who find the better way, I have the utmost respect for because it takes a lot of guts to put your ideas out there and, um, and we're a high intensity kind of a vibe. But yeah, the, the talent we have attracted and the team we have coming into this school year is, is the best we've ever had. And what's been wonderful is that with each year I can hire, I can pay a higher salary, we can afford better benefits, we can attract more talent that way. Um, and and so the the level of experience and talent we have is great but certain things in the hiring process are so different now like prior to covid we had group interviews and we would get 20 people on average to come out for every group interview and we would do four or so a year we haven't been able to hold a group interview since wow. <laughs> july june of 2021 and we had five people Wow. So there is a difference in in certain things that, you know, 
we've done in our hiring process and our recruiting process. And sometimes it involves stalking <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the talent that I've been like, okay, now are you ready? Now will you come? And so we got a couple of great new coaches this year that way too. Yeah. My stalking paid off. Yeah, so I saw one yeah. of those on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> Diane Brewer. Yeah, yeah, I saw that she uh, yeah. moved over from the public school side. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, look, I'm a product of public schools. I am a huge proponent of public schools. I have a, I've started a nonprofit that supports public schools. We are, I'm all about public schools. The, the challenge is, is that um, we need to save the teachers. Like we, we have brilliant talent that is leaving the industry, the, the field. Like, right. so, um, so it's really important that we, that we don't lose their institutional knowledge. Well, do you find that teachers in the public school system now get burned out because they yeah. can't, you know, they're fitting into the box that they're basically told to fit in. Yeah. A couple of years and, ago, I think, I don't, I, I'm, not going to officially cite the statistic, but I believe a few years ago, this might have been prior to COVID, that the teacher, the new teacher burnout rate was like two to three years. Wow. So getting a new teacher through the hump to get to be, you know, 10 years <laughs> in with real experience is really hard. We've also just seen a huge closure in the number of colleges with education majors in the last really? two years. Oh, um, state testing to become a teacher is very hard. Passing Florida's state teacher certification test, if you're the art teacher and you've got to pass, or the English teacher, but you've got to pass, like, you know, a math section. Really? It's not easy. <laughs> no. Um, so getting, you know, getting the licensure is its own challenge. But yeah, we're losing the the door to the field as well. I didn't. I didn't realize that that was. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it makes sense that some would burn out after. You know, I know I worked in social services along. You know, back in my early twenties and. You know, that was about the rate. <laughs> it was like three yeah. years, I think, and I was like, okay. Maybe this is not what I wanted to do in well, my life. Well, if you think about it. Because I felt like I was constrained by, yeah. you know, it was, for me, it was, you know, like whatever the field I was in, and I went through three different jobs in three years, and I felt like, okay, I could only do, I was in crisis management, exactly, mm -hmm. and um, that last year with kids who refused to go home and uh, mm -hmm. at a police station, and I could only do X you know, here's like what services I could offer. And that was it because yeah. it didn't fit into the grants that, you know, yeah. this particular nonprofit got. Yeah. You could try and get them into counseling. You could try and, you know, you could refer them, but it, that was about the extent. It's hard when your hands are tied yeah, when you're dealing exactly. with a kid because nothing really fits in a silo when you're a child, no. right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's so, it's, um, it's challenging. And, and that's even more so now because of the mental health crisis that we're going through. Um, teachers aren't just teachers anymore. They are sometimes the only safe adult a kid right. has access to. And if that teacher is not empowered to show up fully for that child, um, and obviously, you know, there's a, there are a set of professional boundaries in this field that, um, that we abide by to, um, to create that safe space, right? And, um, and yet some of the things that even the, the educators that are showing up in that way are getting from the kids, it's not within the field of training 
for the most part, right? Like, we're dealing with kids who are really in crisis now. And these kids were not in crisis six months ago, a year ago, three years ago. These weren't the kids that were on anyone's radar. Now it's almost every kid is going through stress, just the same way every adult is. So we have to equip our teachers to be better able to serve their students from their heart, right? It all comes back to that compassionate, creative space. And the people who choose to become teachers are those two things more than anything. Right. So if they don't, if they're handicapped and they're not able to to use their creativity <laughs> and their compassion, they're not going to stay. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I know a couple of, I mean, I have my best friend's sister has been in teaching, I think it's 20 years now. She's up in Indiana and uh, obviously has been able to do something to maintain because she's super creative and loves loves teaching has always mm-hmm. stayed in it and i know during the pandemic like she was one of the teachers that would go back in person so she was actually teaching on like she had a hybrid class so she actually mm-hmm. had to film videos so she had to do basically twice the work yeah for a period of time because she had to film videos for her students that wouldn't come into the classroom and mm-hmm. then also teach the ones that were in the classroom and maintain all that so she was doing like twice the work of prep yeah <laughs> just to be able to make sure that students had, you know, all the students had everything they needed. Yeah. That quarter that of the last quarter of 2020, um, March to May, through May, we ended the end of May, um, the amount of extra work that went into, <laughs> and we delivered our programming all live online in the same schedule that we used. Um, and so our kids really just kind of picked up where they left off and didn't have any learning loss. and. Um, and we had some wins. I mean, the introverts loved virtual. <laughs> so, you know, we brought some kids out of their shell that it would have definitely taken longer. So in a lot of ways, you know, that was a great learning process. But, um, my God, the amount of time that t- educators put in that year trying to go with the flow and be ready and to do that and to mm-hmm. go with it and the stress and the all of it, you know, the culture has to support the ask and um and you know the the culture that we've created at space of mind where we're all just in this together like family and the the kids we're modeling for them you know Mm -hmm. that it's you know we all did it because we could see the outcome and we knew we were invested at that level um, without the resentment and the bitterness that unfortunately was the byproduct of this, the larger systems just not kind of having the agility right. or the readiness, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. When I think you, you bring up an important point with the culture, you know, and, you know, it's interesting because of all the, the interviews I've done so far, that's one thing we haven't really discussed is mm. culture. And, um, you know, I think it is important, especially as a company grows, that you have to set that culture early. So then, you know, as you bring on new people and bring on, you know, and continue to expand, that that culture just, you know, is there when they come in and it's established. And then obviously you can tweak it and do whatever you need to do to adjust with what's going on around you. And it takes a while for an approach to become a culture. Um, You know, we're in this, we've just finished our 12th year of the schoolhouse program, um, which uh, has now expanded to kindergarten through 12th grade and Mm -hmm. is like amazing. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, 
getting to the point we're at now where it is the culture versus along the way, there were some points where like it it was adjusting. We were figuring out the culture. Should this be part of like, is this going to work? Like there, that part of the process is very much part of the startup process, right? So in a lot of ways, because space of mind, even still we're redefining ourselves. I still think of us as a startup company, even though we're in our 18th year, like <laughs> we're not a startup. We're yeah. very well established. We're, you know, like, um, and, uh, and have had incredible and exciting growth. Um, over the years, but we function in a mentality that honors that spirit because everything is still becoming itself, right? And I think a culture has to be both static and organic in order to really adjust to where everyone is. And mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it takes time to earn that designation. Right. And I think, you know, you brought up something that's kind of critical i think you know that you consider yourself some in certain ways to start up still you know even after 18 years you know because you are continuing to kind of build and yeah. grow and expand and you have that creative juices because sometimes i think business owners find that they've made it at a certain point so they get to whatever year it is and maybe they're making you know something that they only dreamed about and they're like okay i've made it Mm -hmm. You know, but I, you know, I find like successful entrepreneurs are always, you know, they get to whatever the current goal is and then they're like, okay, <laughs> I, I made it here and now I'm like, wait a minute. Then I'm already I on to go seven other things. Yeah, I had exactly. lunch with a friend of mine today who nicknamed me Allie all the time and he <laughs> like, at some point I'll do some kind of like write about this or do some comedy show, I guess. Uh, but basically, yeah, ideas are just always there and you know, I'm not afraid to follow some of them. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> you write the rest of them down, like, I'll put this on the back burner for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's also like, look, you have to stay, it's got to stay a juicy relationship, right? Like, <laughs> right. you know, like, this is a, the biggest long-term commitment I've ever made and maybe ever will, right? Like, um, and so I've got to keep it interesting and... <laughs> Uh, and I have to want to be there too. Well, and I, I would get bored if it was the same thing every day. Oh, yeah, I yeah. understand that. Yeah. I've, I've left jobs for that reason because <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. where's the challenge? Uh, yeah, you know. But I'm blessed to have a team, um, and especially like who just gets that, and also are a fountain of ideas themselves. So we've created as part of that culture a place for everybody to do what they love. Like, um, you know, we have coaches who specializes in specialize in one thing but then sometimes teach a cooking class sometimes are at the sewing machines with the kids sometimes like you know we're just all able to take all the things that we're passionate about right. and weave them into our purpose professionally yeah. um, and if we're good at life we do that on our personal side too and and the balance is always there uh, and I think that's the fun part it's you know, also that and not taking us ourselves so seriously all the time. <laughs> so as a visionary, which clearly you are, how do you decide when you come up with all those ideas like you just described, how do you figure out where to go first? Because one of the things I see, especially with new business owners that are that visionary mindset, is that they try and do eight things at once and then they basically don't do any of them well. 
and you know instead of picking maybe yeah. one or two and saying yeah. okay I'm gonna write these down and these are gonna be like you know maybe a few months from now but I need to focus here first like yeah. how do you make that yeah I mean well first it goes back to the team okay right like I can only do as many things as I have the support of my team to do <laughs> Uh, you know, I have a Jules, she's our VP of everything, and she's mostly in charge of telling me no. Um, <laughs> and she does it the best of everyone, but uh, I, I love it when people tell me no. I do, even though I prefer they all tell me yes. But um, I respect that because it means like, you know, it, it could be later, no, not now, let's right. do it later. Um, but it means that they're looking out for the big vision too. And um, and that's really important. If everyone told me yes all the time, we would have crashed and burned a long time ago. Uh, but you know, knowing where to start is kind of my jam. Uh, I can very quickly see the path through the whole process. That doesn't mean it always stays the way I initially no. see it, but it takes the anxiety out of starting because I can see the end. Um, I think that's the biggest issue when we go back to what we were saying earlier, inattention, disorganization, and anxiety, and working with CEOs. I think a lot of times um, it's hard to either defend your belief that it's the right move in that moment because people are pressuring you and and you can like fall into that, like I'm not ready to present and stand behind this because I can't see the end, or I just can't see the end and therefore I can't, you know, know where the beginning is um I, I happen to to do that kind of i don't know i think that might be my gift in life is like being able to to see a vision and then understand how it plays out um if i yeah. didn't do what i was doing i would totally be a futurist i think that's the coolest profession <laughs> ever and i would just want that on my like linkedin profile like just to be a futurist i was like yeah. You should change it on your LinkedIn profile and see right. what people say. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Now, that is a gift if you can see it kind of the path, because I think a lot of people can't. And I think that is that fear that plays in. They're like, well, well maybe I should do this instead of this. Or, you know, and I yeah. mean, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you just have to jump and maybe not know. Or just trust the people you know, around you well, that once you exactly. explain your vision, they're going to help you figure it out. They're vested in it. Yeah. Or and if you're a solopreneur, have that mentor, that you have, a, have right. the coach, have the accountability partner, yeah. whatever works for oh, you. Mentorship is everything. Yeah. And like, I wouldn't be where I am without the mentors <laughs> that got me here and are currently supporting me, the teachers who taught me early on. Like, you know, a big part of business success is knowing how to ask for help and right. knowing who to go to. And so mentorship is so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you talked about the teachers who helped get you there and did you have family support in this vision like along the way or I mean like my grandma gave me a thousand dollars when I moved back from Boston in 2004 and she said use it towards your business that you're starting and so I did and I that bought me a logo and some business cards and whatever <laughs> it bought me I don't know um, but ultimately my family supports me a hundred percent they don't always understand why I'm doing certain things or keep up with me, but they totally love it. And I think, um, are really just as I am like proud of what, you know, has been accomplished here. We've helped a right. lot of families. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Also my family was our research and development department. 
So, like, growing up in my household, I think, <laughs> informed so much of what it takes to um, to run an education company at school. My mom was a teacher, and my father was, he would have been an amazing, like, college professor. He didn't choose that route, but um, he was a teacher by nature, and, you know. <laughs> Research and development. <laughs> we totally were. I love that. So, what teacher influenced you the most? to take this path on? I have four teachers who I actually have been in touch with all four even recently. Um, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Kirk at Verde Elementary, um, who's magical. And um, all through middle school, my gifted history teacher, Bobby Lauren, who um, she and I were actually featured on NPR together, which was super cool. Wow, cool. Uh, a few years ago, we got to share a story from her class. Um, and in high school, Dr. Biner and uh, Mrs. Murley. And, um, and these four women all, oh God, they changed so many students' lives. But for me, they created permissionless learning. And they, I could cry about it right now. Um, they all at sometimes demanded it, but they certainly afforded it that we could show up as our most creative and even discombobulated <laughs> selves and always be safe to be learning. Um, and, you know, they had all the smartest kids in the schools and, um, and they, you know, that made their job 90 times harder because we needed to be entertained all the time. And this was before kids were labeled with ADHD, which as adults, all of the kids I grew up with almost in the gifted program have some you know, attention or anxiety situation. Um, but we were never labeled with that. We were just credited with being creative and had wild imaginations that we just got, won the school lottery and landed mm -hmm. in the company of these four women and in their care. And um, so, yeah, they all taught me to just, you know, make mistakes and own it. And that's hard, humility. Right. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> tough lesson, but super important in business. Uh, but they, um, God, they, they are all so strong in their own selves that they were just wonderful models of how to, you know, how to be confident and hold court <laughs> and keep the balance between firm and, and comforting. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I don't even remember most of my, I remember high school teachers, but I don't remember most before that. Yeah. I remember one in like my sixth grade teacher who I, more recently friended on Facebook, not that we interact that much, mm -hmm. but but I remember her, but otherwise I don't really remember most of my. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the power, like I was saying before, of a great educator is, it just becomes part of your life story, right? Like mm -hmm. everything I do every day somehow traces back to what I learned um, oh my God, I forgot Miss Williams. I have five. Oh, oh my goodness. Miss Williams, who I, oh my gosh, so sorry. But she probably taught me the most important lessons and I can't believe I, anyway, Miss Williams, 
taught us in third grade the rules of brainstorming and how to oh, conduct wow. a think tank meeting. Really? Third yeah, grade? Yeah, third grade. Jeez. And so I use that every, like that's the things that we learned in, like I said, from all of these women uh, were just so empowering. But yeah, that's the stuff I was, you know, blessed with, gifted with. Public with. school? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, you know, it, yeah, it's not the same now. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think public no. schools back then were a little more nimble than they are now and gave teachers Certainly. a little more rain or yeah. you know, looser reins, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. So what's been your biggest challenge in starting this business? I know you've been around for a while, but... <laughs> Just... Well, you know, there's two sides to my role as you know an entrepreneur i'm an educator and i'm also a business owner and so i think that this is where that split personality definitely shows up because i've had to do two things simultaneously which were basically the same thing but like on the education side of just like figuring out how to do what we do with our services and programs and staff and all of that we were creating a model from scratch so um, so I had to learn how to stand firm in the commitment to the vision. Uh, mm -hmm. That wasn't always easy, explaining a new paradigm to scared parents, right? right. It's a new paradigm. Uh, but that commitment to the vision has allowed us to create this continuity in the programming. On the other side, on the business side, I mean, God, it was just stay alive. You know, I, it's, I, and I'm not, I don't joke about that. You no. know, we're small. We're not St. Andrews with a, you know, a huge <laughs> endowment, um, endowment <laughs> holding us together. Like if someone's tuition is late, that impacts our budget, right? Like, you know, not as much today as in the other previous years, but the, we're coming out of a pandemic and a giant construction project. So the, you know, we're still growing and, um, and even though, you know, our budget isn't startup mode anymore, um, like I said, we're, we're growing. We're, we've got a 10,000 square foot campus now. We started in my house yeah. and then moved to the public library. And so, you know, now we're in the process of, you know, purchasing our, our real estate and, and, you know, oh. ensuring our sustainability on that magical corner. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, the, it's just all that too now. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, yes, it's time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's time. It's a rough market, but we, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's probably good to, like you said, ensure your sustainability because. Yeah, and, you know, I've put a lot also into the spaces. You know, we've just done this huge renovation in the new building, and um, so it would nice to be nice to have the equity of that <laughs> investment as, as well. So, yeah. 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 So if you, if there was one thing you could tell a, someone that wanted to start a business, doesn't matter what kind of business, could be something like you're doing, could be, you know, a business like mine, whatever, you know, that either you learned along the way or maybe you knew going in that's really helped you build your business, what would that be? Do it, don't stop, ask for help, and don't stop. But do it. Like, I mean, you just have to do it. I, I was at a party just recently and talking to a friend who 
had a great business idea and she's modeled it even and she like could do it amazingly well but there's more reasons that you know it's easier to come up with reasons to not do it um but the reality is is that we live in um an economy that is shifting to support entrepreneurship more than ever mm-hmm. and uh the flexibility that we would like in our lifestyles that certainly covid opened everybody up to the possibilities <laughs> of you know like being able to be the master of your schedule right. um that it, freedom equals happiness in a lot of ways right like we can create the environment and the and the the world you know our lifestyle right to meet our our all of our needs um so i would say do it and then design it in a way that's going to work for you you know um the irony is is that i started my business i was like starting my own company because i don't want to work before 11 a.m and so like if i don't have to work i mean this wasn't the only reason obviously but it was part of my core initial like you know things that i had set up as my like you know foundational here's why and here's the what and now I'm like the first one in at 7.05 every morning <laughs> and um, I'm this weird morning person. I don't know what the heck happened, but the, you know, do it, don't stop. You can't call in sick when it's your own business and you don't <laughs> stop. But that doesn't mean don't create balance. It just means don't quit, don't stop. Just keep doing it. The problem will work itself out. The solution is there. And then is, you know, the most important thing we teach our kids in our program is just ask for help. Yeah. Mentorship is everything. <laughs> Have a great mentor. You know, I when I first first started, I went into I went to FAU to the was it Small Business Development Center yeah. there. Uh-huh. And there's like a free accountant and there's a free lawyer and there's like all this. It was great. And you know, I got a little like quickie class and um and then, you know, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, like Ali said, if you need help, find the mentors, find if it's mindset that's stopping you, work yeah. on that. I mean, everything can be improved. Just don't stop what the vision is. I think that's ultimately the difference. You know, if you think about what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur and an employee an employee, it's the <laughs> grit. Yeah, that's it. It's like, can you, and I said it before, the relationship has to be juicy to want to show up. Like, can you do that? Can you create that for yourself? Like, that's not easy to do. No. And especially when maybe other people aren't seeing it the way you are or, um, you know, so that grit is sometimes only made in the fire. <laughs> you just have to jump in. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Now, if anyone had any questions for you, um, you know, whether it's about your program or about something maybe you said here, you know, about how to get started with something, what's the best way to connect? I'm in all the usual social places. Uh, Space of Mind is www.findspaceofmind.com. And uh, you can find me, you know, it's Allie Kaufman. I'm on you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those places. (laughs) All the usual places. Yes. Some people are not in all those usual places. Yeah. You know, that people are like, no, you just have to email me. I'm like, okay. Well, you can do that too. It's Allie, A-L-I, at myspaceofmind.com. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, Thanks. And everyone, thank you for joining in to the Dream, Plan, Start, Grow show. Uh, My name again is Allison Turner. If you want additional resources, please go to our website, 
dreamplanstartgrow.com. You'll find all of the podcasts, whether you're listening to the audio version or looking at the video version, um, all are there. Also, there's some information on business coaching as well as um, other blog resources. So thank you for joining me. and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Dream Plan Start Grow podcast with Allison Turner. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join the Dream Plan Start Grow community by following us on Facebook or Instagram at Dream Plan Start Grow. See you in the next episode.